Welcome to Handwriting Secrets Revealed on TalkZone.com, the show that's all about handwriting analysis. Now, here's your host, Dave Grayson. Hello, you're at the right place. Handwriting Secrets Revealed. I'm Dave Grayson, and we're here to talk about handwriting analysis. Uh, I'd like to start off today with talking about ways that handwriting analysis can be of benefit for you. Uh, there's just so many ways that it could be used. You're, I'm sure you realize some, and there's others that might be kind of new to you, but it could be very helpful. If you have any questions, you can go to our website, handwritingsecretsrevealed.com, and that will answer a lot of questions also. One of the major ways that handwriting analysis is used is in personnel selection. A company may be small, may be large, maybe maybe Fortune 500. Many Fortune 500 companies use handwriting analysis, but they want to hire somebody. And often handwriting analysis is not used for entry-level jobs, such as, um, you know, uh, just a very basic minimal job, but it's more used within the uh, business area for advancements or special placements in a special position, or maybe they're opening up a new position and they want to find the right person for that uh, to fill the spot. So they turn to handwriting analysis because it really tells you a lot about an individual. And the idea in personnel selection is not to disqualify people, but to find the person that would fit the job the best. Maybe the person likes to deal with other people. Well, if you put them in a room where they have to file all day or just work on one project, they're going to be very frustrated. If you have somebody who you want to be a receptionist and they're not comfortable dealing with people and handling many different things at one time, then the job won't work out well. So it's it's really trying to place the best person for that position and make it more profitable for the company. Because some of the biggest losses in companies is hiring the wrong person, putting the wrong person in that particular position they wanted to fill, and it doesn't work out. So they have to go retrain a new person and start all over again. It's not to eliminate anybody from a company, of course, but it's to place them where they would fit best. So personnel selection is um, a big use of handwriting analysis. Another way is personal analysis. That's where people just want to have their handwriting analyzed, maybe for understanding themselves better, maybe just for the fun of it, maybe for a lark, whatever. But it, handwriting will tell a lot about an individual. There's over 144 traits that we can discover within a person, and um, it kind of makes up their personality. We all think we know who we are, but we're often viewed externally differently than we think we are. So we think we're coming off one way where all our friends and neighbors might think, well, they're really a different way. So you can find out how you really are by having your handwriting analyzed. You'll find out uh, temperament. You'll find out um, how you think and how you learn, uh, how you set your goals. Are you a good goal setter or a poor goal setter? Do you follow through on things? Is there procrastination? Is there frustration? Is there suppression, repression? All those things are seen in the handwriting, and it can be very beneficial to you, not just to understand yourself, but to be able to improve yourself. 
Maybe there's some things you want to work on. And what we'll talk about later in the program is graphotherapy. That's a big uh, part of handwriting analysis where you change your handwriting, you change yourself. And that's uh, very possible, and it's uh, done very easily. Another way is in dating. Uh, you're meeting somebody, you're going out with somebody, you're thinking about dating somebody, and you want to know more about them. It's just a good way to really learn how to approach them. Do you come on strong? Do you come on to the, through the side door? Do you lay back quite a bit? Uh, do you do you like to, um, you know, beat around the bush and saying something or come up front and ask the question? So if you get somebody that you're dating, their handwriting analyzed, you can really get to know the person and how to approach and and the big skills and the important skills that the person has. It's very beneficial to you also to have your dating friend's handwriting analyzed and your own and check out the compatibility. Are you really compatible? And it's not that you block each other off because you're not compatible. You learn to understand each other's ways of thinking, each other's ways of doing things, and you can kind of work together then if you understand how the other person reacts to things and and the area from which they're coming. So it really is very beneficial in so many different ways, but um, it's just something that uh, is really helpful in, in in getting to know yourself better and getting to know somebody else better. Another good way is it's also good to, uh, in working with a colleague, maybe there's somebody who work very closely, maybe it's a partnership in a business, maybe it's uh, some office manager you're working with, and you're just not getting along or you're not doing well with that person, and, and having the handwriting analyzed, it can really help you understand that person better and to know how to approach them, how to work with them. Because anybody can work with anybody else. It's just really a process of learning how to do it and how to approach the person and when to stand back and when to come on strong. So handwriting analysis does all these things. Another good way is vocational guidance. Say you're, you, you just graduated from high school. You graduated from college. You're looking for a job. You can't find a job. Maybe you really don't know what you want to do. Possibly your company folded up or went out of business for some reason or another or merged with somebody else and you're out on the street looking for a job. What are your abilities? What are your talents? What can you do? Well, we all assume we know some things about ourselves, but there's a lot of hidden talents we often have that have not been brought forth. And with handwriting analysis, we can show you just several different areas that maybe that you could work in or or work with. Uh, Many people uh, deal well in the business area, some more in the artistic area, some in the communication area. Maybe it's a spot that you've never thought about working in before and you don't know if you have the talents well have your handwriting analyzed and we can definitely tell you if that's an area you should go into and we'll give you a list of many other areas that you should go into we list 75 different uh, traits and different attributes you have for particular positions or jobs maybe it's mechanical maybe you'll be a good electrician or a printer or uh a plumber, something in that area. So maybe the scientific, you may want to go into 
medicine or research, those kinds of things, how your thinking process works. All those things that put together a nice little piece to allow us to be able to help you in finding a new job or finding your first job or maybe just helping you find which way you want to go in life. Uh, sometimes we get up against the wall and we just can't go any further. We don't know what to do. We're spinning our wheels. We're not happy at work. Everything suffers in. Our life suffers. Our family suffers. Just everything does. So if you have your handwriting analyzed with that intention uh, and that focus, then we can help you. Now, having your handwriting analyzed can be done, for, as I said, for a personal reason, and that just kind of gives you all the different traits. But we need to know exactly why you want your handwriting analyzed so we can really get down to the nitty-gritty and exactly how we can help you with it. Another very important way that handwriting analysis is used is in helping children, helping children in school, helping children at home, helping children in their relationships. Uh, so often a child, you know, is not developed like we are. Some are much more advanced than others. But by having their handwriting analyzed, maybe it's your child, maybe you're teaching this child, maybe you're counseling this child, you're tutoring this child, and you want to be able to help the child succeed. Does the child have low self-esteem? Uh, that can be a big deterrent. They're not going to raise their hand in school because, well, I'm not going to know the answer. I don't know that answer. Why would I raise my hand? If they do, then people are going to laugh at me. People are going to laugh at me. Then I'm going to feel terrible about myself. And it just creates a big, big cycle. But with handwriting analysis, we can plug in and see exactly where the discrepancies are and where the pluses are. This child has great talent here. Maybe the physical attribute of uh, rhythm, which shows through the handwriting, it would be someone who's great in sports because they have the um, ability to balance themselves. Maybe it's in music. It takes a lot of rhythm, whether it's music, uh, writing music, singing, playing an instrument. All those things are uh, a good outlet for youngsters. But if you're trying to get your youngster to take piano lessons or guitar lessons or singing lessons, and they don't have that talent in them, going to become very frustrating for them, and they're not going to like it, and it's, it's going to be really a shame for them. Maybe they have a talent in some other place. Also, how children learn. Uh, are they uh, quick learners? Do they pick things up quickly? Do they just shout answers off the top of their head? Or are they what we call the slow thinkers, the cumulative thinkers, not slow in that they don't know the answer, but slow in that they have to really think things through. How much is two plus two? Well, some youngsters can raise their hand right away and say four. Some youngsters will raise their hand right away. Two plus two, that's five. They may get it wrong, but they're going to answer it. We can see that. Are they answering because they know it? Or are they answering because they want attention? And then some students, as I said, are a little slower. They're going to say two plus two. They're going to count on their fingers. They're going to count marks or something so they understand that 2 plus 2 is 4 and they want to get the answer right. So in helping children and working with children, uh, handwriting analysis is a great way. Another way that's used quite often now is in jury selection. Lawyers use uh, handwriting analysts to uh, help them pick a jury. And when you get those forms from the uh, your county, wherever you live, that 
question you and ask a bunch of questions about you, and they want you filled out in writing, handwriting, not on a computer, and those are sent back to the county, they're all on file. So when they come up with 22 people and going to pick 12 for a jury, all those pages or papers that you have filled out are given to the attorneys, a copy given to the attorneys. And what attorneys will do, decide do they want to plead this case very emotionally or they want to plead the case of somebody very factually, you know, just deal with the facts and not get let emotions get into it. They're going to want a certain type of an individual on that jury. So the lawyer, when they question the different jury members, they'll kind of know ahead of time, well, this we will let them know as a handwriting analyst that this person is very emotional or this person, you know, has a real broad-minded philosophy. He's going to kind of accept anything. Or this person has a very narrow philosophy. Everything with them is black and white. There's no grays. Other people's everything is gray. There is no thing definite yes or no. It's oh, always, always, maybe, maybe, maybe. So it's a great way that it's used in jury selection, and it's used more and more in that way. And, again, handwriting analysis can be used that way. Uh, judges allow it because it does not discriminate, handwriting analysis. It does not tell age. It does not tell gender. It does not tell race. It does not tell handedness. It does not tell, tell whether somebody's handicapped or not. It just is a very basic uh, foundation of people. The other thing is when you write anything on a piece of paper, that's considered public domain. So that's why um, the attorneys can take those papers and give them to you because you wrote on a, on a piece of paper. National Enquirer is great for going into the garbage cans and pulling things out of, written things out of a garbage. They can print any of that they want in the newspaper because anything written on a piece of paper is considered under the law as public domain. So it opens up a big caveat of things. That's why Fortune 500 companies can have handwriting analyzed because once you put it on their application form, even though the application form is theirs and it's your personal information, they can give it to you because you put it down on a piece of paper, then that makes it so that it's public domain. we got lots more information. We'll be back shortly. You're listening to Handwriting Secrets Revealed. And now, more Handwriting Secrets Revealed on TalkZone.com. Here's Dave Grayson. Welcome and thank you. Um, I'd like to talk about handwriting analysis a little more in general, in specifics. Uh, first of all, whenever I go out and give a talk and I say I'm going to talk about handwriting analysis, I get three reactions. One would be handwriting analysis. Oh, that's cool. That's neat. This is going to be fun. A second one is handwriting analysis. Yeah, right. Then another one is handwriting analysis. So there's just a lot of different views of handwriting analysis. And that really goes back to way back in time when, um, uh, the, really back in the early 20s and 30s, handwriting analysis when 
books were written, they were placed in the occult section of the Dewey Decimal System by the uh, Library of Congress. And so that right away placed them with um, all this other paranormal type thing. So it kind of had this mystique about it. Again, in the European countries, it's taught in universities. Almost everybody takes a course in it. It's widely accepted, widely used. But here in the United States, it's still kind of in a little bit of a, a time warp, you might say. But in the late 1980s, I'm not sure exactly the date, um, it was by petition by the American Association of Handwriting Analysts petitioning and bringing research forth to the Library of Congress. It was moved from the occult section of the Dewey Decimal System to the psychology section of the Dewey Decimal System. So if you're looking for handwriting books in a bookstore, go to the psychology department. If you're looking for handwriting books in the library, go to the psychology department, and that's where you're going to find the books. Now, um, that's allowing it to be much more acceptable. That's allowing it to be much more uh, presentable. And it just gives a little more credibility than it had before. But if you think of handwriting as brain writing, that's what it really is. The brain controls the hand, the fingers. You know, it's interesting. We can look at a um, a person and kind of tell how they're feeling. The brain controls everything in the body. So if the person is feeling excited, uh, maybe not feeling well, maybe feeling uh, looking very afraid, uh, very nervous. We can all recognize those by looking at somebody because the brain is controlling it. But those are big motor skills, the way somebody stands, the way somebody walks, the way somebody smiles, the way somebody frowns, or maybe they're crying. Um, these are all larger muscle skills. But in handwriting, you're dealing with very small m- muscular uh movement in the fingers. So the brain is controlling much more focusing. I'm sorry, the brain is much more focusing on what it's doing. So that's why what is on the piece of paper as far as what you write is also in the brain. I'm sure you're aware that your handwriting changes over time. Maybe it changes every hour, every day, every week, every month, but it changes. Some people's writing, of course, never changes. Some people write the way they were taught in fourth grade, they write now. That's uh, Those are people, if, if you do that or know someone who writes, maybe your wife or your husband, write exactly the way they wrote for years and years and years, that signifies a person who what you see is what you get. This is the way I was when I was five years old. This is the way I am at 55 years of age. They just are the same person all the way along. They've met trials, they met tribulations, they met problems, they met successes, and it didn't really phase them. They just moved real slowly and well through life. So they're very well-adapted people, and those are people that you can really rely on for so many things. But for most of us, the uh, writing does change a while. Just think of your signature. If you receive a, a lottery check of $5 million dollars, and you sign your name on the back, you're going to be real excited to sign that name. If you sign your name on a, your first payment of a house 
maybe you're signing over uh, $25,000. You have to write a check for $25,000. It's going to be a lot more cautiously and carefully written than the signature on the back of the lottery check because your brain is thinking different. Your brain is saying, hey, slow down here. Take your time. This is a lot of money. This is very serious. This is no fooling around. So you sign a little more carefully. On the lottery, your mind is going six different ways, and you just sign it real fast. So the brain controls the writing. If, if you're going through a bad period of time, your handwriting is going to be a little different. If you seem like the whole world is caving in on you, you feel like there's a lot of pressure, you've got a strong decision to make, your writing is going to show that. Now, the only negative thing about having a, your handwriting analyzed is you've got to remember it's being analyzed at that moment in time. Handwriting does not tell the past. It does not tell the future. It tells just the way it is at this particular moment. So it's very important to uh, let the analyst know under what circumstances you wrote it, or just try to be as relaxed as possible. Don't write it after some terrible episode just happened to you because it will affect your writing because it will show. As I said, you're also, I'm sure, aware of your handwriting changes. What I would suggest you do is when your writing looks one way, think of how you're feeling. Are you feeling good? Are you feeling bad? Are things going good? Are, are you really under a lot of pressure? And remember that. And then when you write a different way, uh, try to figure out, how am I feeling now? Am I under pressure? Is, are things going good? Am I really relaxed? And so what you could begin to do is be your own analyst, not to totally understand yourself, but to know how you're feeling. You know that, uh-oh, I'm having a bad day. I better take a step back. Or, gee, this everything's going good. I'm real happy. It, it shows I can... I. I'll go ask this person this serious question or I'll make this big decision because I'm living in a good time of my life. Today is a great day. So use your handwriting for your skills. But um, handwriting, again, is the brain controlling the fingers. And we've also, there's a lot of research done lately. Of course, we all know there's a lot of research being done on the brain. And one thing they're discovering is that as the brain controls the fingers to do the cursive writing or the printing, the doing the printing and the cursive writing also sends messages back to the brain. So there's a, a two-way communication there, and they're studying that more. And they're studying that more because cursive, as many of you realize, is not being taught in schools much anymore. With no child left behind and now common core, what there's, they're saying they want uh, typing skills, being able to use a keyboard and use it properly. So in many, many states, handwriting analysis is, uh, excuse me, handwriting cursive is not being taught. Sometimes printing is in first and second grade, but even that's kind of been eliminated somewhat because there's many schools that give iPads to youngsters in kindergarten, and they use them all through the school system. They really don't need to write or print. So it's becoming a lost art, handwriting and, and printing. And they're uh, beginning to equate some area of skill learning in school with that. Now, 
because of Common Core and No Child Left Behind, handwriting is not tested. Everything for student advancement, for teacher advancement, and many times for teacher evaluation, uh, what's tested is how the teacher is evaluated. Well, since handwriting is not tested, it's kind of been blocked out of the curriculum. Keyboarding and Common Core, keyboarding is required, and there is a test online for keyboarding. Now, the other thing they've discovered in keyboarding, the brain is focusing on the keys, whether it's a K or an L, where the key is or what spot on the keyboard. It's not focusing on the word that it's writing. And for years, educators have known you learn more if you take notes in school. And it's the reason for taking notes in school is when you write the person's name who invented something on a piece of paper, you have the brain told you to write it down, and then by writing it, the muscle sends that message back to the brain, reinforces the answer. So by handwriting something, putting it down in cursive or printing on a piece of paper helps your memory. Keyboarding does not. Keyboarding doesn't transfer anything back to the brain except where the placement of the fingers are for the keyboard. So there's two states actually this year, Indiana and South Carolina, that brought handwriting back into the curriculum because they really felt that it was an important part of the curriculum. So it is back in there. Now, the one thing I think that's good about learning handwriting is, besides just the handwriting, is the self-discipline of sitting down for 15, 20 minutes and doing something under strict control. We don't, we've lost self-discipline in many different ways. So cursive in school is, is a big question. There's a lot of people trying to get it back into the classroom, but it's not in the classroom in many classrooms now. So cursive is very important for the process of learning. How I use handwriting analysis, I use it a number of different ways. Um, I use it for, if I get an estimate, need some work done at home, whether it's a, a, a new roof or some cement work or something, I ask for a written estimate, partly because I want to know the cost, but partly because I want to see the how the person handwrites the, the estimate. Now, I realize the person that's writing the estimate is not the person that's doing the cement work or doing the roofing. However, that person is a representative of the company. And if I see someone with a lot of negative traits, I probably won't want to go with that particular person. The price may be right, but if I really see, you know, deceit or cheating or lying in the signature or in the estimate, I'm going to, no way I will go that way. Another way is with fellow workers. I'm working with somebody and um, I want to see how to approach them or how to get the best out of them or which is the way. Do I confront them with the problem or do I kind of uh, go in the back door? Um, to help myself, I catch myself getting irritable or tired or frustrated or angry or bewildered. I see that in the writing first. Uh, in counseling, I do a lot of counseling, and that helps immensely because in counseling, it just you know, opens up everything because most people, when you analyze their handwriting, 
and you're sitting there with them, and you tell them a few things, all of a sudden they think you know everything in the handwriting. I don't tell them I don't, but they think you know everything. And so they'll be open up much more. Youngsters especially, once they know uh, you know a few things about them, they think you learned everything from handwriting. So you just build upon that. But it's a great way to work with somebody else because they really feel that, you know, I might as well say everything because you know everything. And, again, different ways it's used is um, the FBI uses it, police use it a lot, Homeland Security uses it a lot. Uh, we'll get into that some other time. And, of course, as we mentioned earlier many times, um, Fortune 500 companies. We've got lots more. We're going to get into how we analyze a few things. We're going to look at uh, some slant and size and those kinds of things. After this break, we'll be back in a moment. Let's return to Handwriting Secrets Revealed on TalkZone.com. Here's your host, Dave Grayson. Thank you much, and thank you for listening out there. We sure appreciate it. If you have questions, you can go to our website, and you can ask a question there or maybe have a question answered. It's HandwritingSecretsRevealed.com. We'd like to talk now a little bit about how we analyze. Uh, Analyzing handwriting is not just looking at the writing, the, the biggest people, the biggest fault people think is that, um, you know, it's just how you write. So somebody will try to forge somebody's signature or some writing, and they're not aware of the little intricacies, which when we analyze, we do look at the writing. But the other thing we look at is the um, spacing between the letters, the space between the words, the space between the lines, how it's on the page, your left margin, your right margin, your top margin, your bottom margin, all those things signify very important ingredients that make up your personality. Now, when people want to forge a document or forge a sentence or a paragraph or something, their biggest mistake, I shouldn't tell you this, but their biggest mistake is they're not aware of the space between the words and the spacing between the letters and the spacing between the lines. All those are so important. Many times, handwriting is brought up in a court system. Maybe it's a, a question of forgery and a, a signature, forgery and some other document. The whole document might be forged. And uh, it's, it's allowable in court. As I said, the Supreme Court has ruled it to be used, can be used in court. Very few times does a case that involves handwriting ever go to court because the majority of time it is settled outside of court. And the reason it's settled outside is because there are very definite rules and stipulation for signifying whether something is a forgery or not. And it's very easy to find those out. And one of the things is the pressure of the writing. Another thing is the spacing, as I said, of the the let between the letters. That's probably the biggest giveaway. People will try to write the same way, but they're not worried about the intricacies of those spacements. And we measure those in micro millimeters as far as the spacing between a an e and an i, just between certain letters. Sometimes the, all the writing can be very broad, and then two letters might always be very close together. So when we bring in the sample of the known 
Templar of the person who actually wrote something uh, and compare it against the questioned document, uh, those things usually just pop right out at you. And so often the lawyers on both sides just see that, yes, that's definitely a forgery. No, that's not a forgery. Then it goes to court. So, as I said, very few times those are brought in the court. Now, once they go in the court, the handwriting analyst, that I am a handwriting analyst, cannot really go to court because in court you will be terribly belittled because they'll still put you in the occult section with hypnotism and tea reading and gravy stain reading and all that kind of stuff. So what you need to have at that point is a question document examiner. Now, a question document examiner is also a handwriting analyst. They begin as a handwriting analyst, but they don't go, they might move from that into, uh, from a handwriting analyst to doing personality profiles into just the scientific area so that the background is in the scientific area of looking at handwriting samples. What they might do is they'll take the letter A in the word and and blow it up 20, 30 times. And they can see every time the A is written, there's pressure at the bottom of the A or pressure on the right side of the A or increased pressure at the top of the A or no increased pressure at all. And then they take up the the forged document and put it up on and blow it up, and they see that that A is not the same at all. Because as you write, your upstroke is normally lighter than your downstroke because your downstroke is a much more firm movement of the hand, so it's heavier. When you're trying to forge something, you're very carefully trying to write the same way. So usually the up pressure is the same as the down pressure. That's the biggest giveaway of all. So there's just a lot of things in handwriting analysis strictly than just looking at something and say, ooh, that person is a, a procrastinator. There's just so many other aspects of it that we look at, and just knowing the pressure on an individual can give us a, a wealth of information without even going looking at all the different letters and how they're made. So lots of different ways of analyzing. Uh, another one is called... Um, well, it's just a process of sometimes reading the document. Many times handwriting analysts get the document and they'll just analyze it and don't read the content. It's also important to read the content. If it's especially for if it's for a legal situation, we definitely do read the content because the the most important thing in the writing might be a different pressure, might be a different slant, might be a different size. And all those things are so very important. So somebody's forging something, and they get to something very important, and all of a sudden they'll want to go even slower. That's also true in just regular writing. If you get a a letter from somebody and everything is written nice, and all of a sudden in one part of the letter it's printed, one part of the letter it's a little bit darker, one part of the letter it's bigger, one part of the letter it's smaller, you know that that's the most important part because they stopped everything else they were doing and focused on what they were looking at. When I uh, was teaching, we get letters from parents. You know, sometimes you get epistles, practically, two, three, four pages. You know how that goes. And what you do is really look for the writing where it got larger because they wanted to make a statement or where it got smaller because they wanted to really zero in, this is important, or 
just the margin shifted a little bit. That was the important part of the letter. The all was kind of added information to kind of bolster their ideas, but you could focus very quickly on what the parent was concerned about by looking at the the handwriting much more critically and understanding that, oh, all of a sudden this have this a little bit darker writing. That's what's important. They slowed down and wrote it a little bit heavier. So what I'd like to do is first talk about the slant of the writing. There's um, uh, five, uh, there's really seven different slants. We won't go into all those because that's kind of degrees. We have measuring, measuring gauges to measure how straight the writing is up and down, how, how far to the right it goes, how far to the left it goes. All those things are important. If we're doing a very critical analysis for a person, professionally they, they're being paying us for it, or we're doing something for uh, an attorney or a, a, the police or something to do with a jury or a court, we really measure the slant. And that's why forgery is so easy to spot because the slant is not going to be quite the same. We're pretty consistent in our slant. We might change the slant, but if we write straight up and down and then sometimes write vertically or maybe, or I'm sorry, straight up and down or right to the right or right to the left, uh, that's still going to be consistent. So somebody forges something, they'll have a, a right slant, but it might be not the slant that we have, not measured as precisely as, as my actual writing, but somebody who forged that tried to go close to it, but it's going to be seen very easily that it's, it's a forgery. But um, I'm going to talk about the different slants. If you see, there's what we call the vertical slant, the right slant, the far right slant, and the backhand slant, or the left. People put that bottom, or that fourth one on there as they call it left-handed writing. Then you have at the very bottom the variable slant where it goes all different ways, sometimes in the same writing, sometimes straight up and down, left, right, and all those kinds of things. All right, first let's look at the vertical slant, the writing that's pretty much straight up and down on a paper. Think of that as like a soldier standing very firm and strong and straight and at attention. That's what that mind is doing. It's standing at attention. It, it's ruled by the head. It doesn't let emotions get into most decision-making. They're very non-emotional people. They don't say, I love you. They don't say, uh, gee, that was really fun. That was a great time I had. They'll probably say nothing. They feel it. It's in there. They uh, appreciate everything done for them, but they're not going to express it because they're not expressive type individuals. They kind of hold themselves very rigid, and this is who I am, and this is what I'm going to be like, and you're never, you're never really going to know that person very well because they always have roadblocks around them. It's like, link, think of looking at those British guards. You understand they're real rigid. They don't smile. They don't laugh. They don't uh, blink. They just stare, 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 and mo don't move a muscle. Well, that's like the vertical writer. That's an extreme, but that's like the vertical writer. They are ruled by their head. They think first and ask later. You ask them, do you want to go to the movies? And they're going to think, let's see, why should I go to the movies? Do I want to go to the movie? Is the movie I want to see? They're going to think it out. They're not going to make just jump a decision. The next 
writing is a, a little towards the right slant. There's a lot of degrees of right slant. Majority of people have a right-handed slant. Some a little bit right, some moderately right, some far right, and some extremely far right. So I, I have to be careful when I categorize this, but when I talk about, just think that whatever I say as far as to the right, increase it the further that you write to the right. Actually, if we look at the vertical writer and just slant it a little bit to the right, those are well-adjusted people. I have yet, in my many years of counseling, ever seen a writer that's a little bit right-slanted writer because they are ruled by their head, and yet they do let some emotions get in. So they're very well-adapted persons. So if you're just right slant a little bit, that's a very plus factor. But the right-slanted people, uh, they are ruled by their heart. So they usually act first and think later. They're people that really get themselves into binds. They paint themselves in the corner because they'll respond without really thinking. They'll act. They'll get something and, and they'll buy it. They'll try it. It doesn't work. Then they're all frustrated. The vertical writer will buy something and he'll read the directions. The far right slanted person, they don't want directions. I don't want to bother with that. I'm, I can do it. I'm going to do it. They just do it. They're ruled by their heart. Uh, so they react to things. Youngsters uh, are very vulnerable in this because if they are right slanters, they just react to things. They They'll be the first one, somebody looks at them wrong, and they'll be right away, oh, they're trying to start a fight. Um, they just buy into everything that's, their friend says, let's go here, oh, yeah, let's go here, let's go there, oh, yeah, let's go there. You want to do this? Yeah, I want to do this. The vertical rider, again, will control himself. I'm not sure I want to do that. Uh, the far right slant is more of a gang mentality. You'll do what everybody else is doing. You're part of the action. You're part of the group. It's very important that you're around people and have people. The vertical writer, going back to that vertical up and down writing, they don't necessarily need people. We all need people. But they can they can go to the movie by themselves. They can go shopping by themselves. Uh, but the, the right slanted person doesn't want to do anything by themselves. They just like to have people around. They're, they're ruled with their heart. They're very excited about things. And they show their emotions. They laugh easily. They cry easily. They grow to anger easily. They get frustrated easily. They get um, really upset with themselves and others easily. That's why I say the writing that's just vertical but a little bit to the right, slant a little bit, they're the most adaptable because they realize that, um, you know, I have to control myself. We're going to talk more about the slants, and then we'll talk about the variable slant. When we return, we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Handwriting Secrets Revealed on TalkZone.com with your host, Dave Grayson. Welcome. We're talking about the slant of the writing. Uh, we talked about the vertical writer who's ruled by the head, 
and the right-slanted writer ruled by the heart. And then we have the the left-handed slanted writing, writing to the left, the backhand slant, whatever you want to call it. Those are people who are really into what's in it for me. And that's not from a selfish way or from a very negative way. It's just that that left is kind of facing back towards them. The right slant is reaching out towards others. The left slant is kind of reaching back towards myself. And if somebody asks me, do I want to go to the movie? Well, have I seen the movie before? Do I want to read a book? Do I want to watch television? Do I not want to go out with my friends? What's best for me at this particular time? How can I make a decision? The right slander is going to make a decision of doesn't care about the movie, but it's with a friend they want to go. But the backhand slant, everything is kind of viewed for what's in it for me. Again, not a negative thing, but it can be very powerful, positive. They're going to do things that is best for them, to make them succeed, make them uh, uh, do whatever needs to be done to, to get to finish a project or something. So that's they're coming from self. And then you have the last one on the page. Of, that's where it's the variable slant. Some vertical, some left, some right. These are people that are very, all within the same writing. These are people that are very difficult to deal with. You never know if they're going to react outwardly or turn you off or become very introspective and not respond to you at all. They're just very unpredictable people, frustrating to deal with. And usually, like in that sample, the writing is often heavier and kind of blotchier almost. Look at the bottom line. You see not only is it heavy, but at the end you have smudges in it. That's often in the variable writer because their emotions, your, their emotions are all over the board and they don't have control over their emotions. All the other slants have some control. The, the far right slanter even knows they sometimes go too far and can pull themselves back. And the vertical writer knows, well, I don't extend myself enough. Sometimes I have to be more outgoing. The variable slant writer doesn't, doesn't react to that because they're everything within a matter of five minutes. I'd like to take a look at the pressure for a moment. There's um, really two pressures. There's the light pressure and the heavy pressure. There's also a moderate pressure. Majority of people, 60, 70% of people write with moderate pressure. But then there's a two, a lighter pressure or a heavier pressure. Lighter pressure is an individual kind of like a butterfly. Nothing really gets into their system very deeply. They go from one project to another. They might have 16 things all over the place, never quite completed, because they never get down the business. They just kind of start something. There's not a lot of uh, energy put into anything. Even the writing is not done with a normal pressure, it's very light. They're just going to jump all over the place and try different things at different times. And that's how these people are. Uh, the heavy pressure people, uh, they are very determined, very sure of themselves, very hard to change their attitude and thoughts, and they also remember things. I'm going to ask you sometime to try something. If you're a writer, try to write your name real light, and try to write it real heavy. And you're gonna, when you write it real heavy, you're gonna feel that inner pressure build up. And people who write heavy always have that inner pressure, always have that feeling of, I gotta get it done, I gotta do it, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna succeed no matter what. 
anything taken to an extreme is bad. Uh, too much pressure on anything is you can be driven to something and do any, everything wrong in the way to get there. So, you know, but heavy pressure are very determined people, very strong-willed people. And when you try to write your name heavy, you're going to realize exactly what I'm saying. The inner pressure that you feel to do it that way, know that these people have that inner pressure that way all the time. Also, Trump sometimes try to write your name real light, just kind of like nothing. You're going to feel like you didn't even put your name on a piece of paper. Oh, I just did do this. And that's kind of the way they are. They don't really get into anything in depth. They kind of just surface learn things. They um, learn a little bit here, a little bit there. They kind of like the people go to a buffet and take a little bit of everything. The heavy pressure writers, they're going to learn something. They're going to learn it. They're going to remember it. They're going to deal with it. These are often the also the science area people because they really get down into it. And then finally, we're going to take a quick look at the size of the writing. The size of the writing is also very important, whether it's small, large, or medium, regular, standard size. Uh, everything, of course, is relative, and the only way you really begin to realize whether it's small or larger writing is one is kind of be more observant of the writer. But the tiny writing is the people who block everything out of their minds and work on one project at a time. They in a corporation, they could never be a receptionist because these people can do one task at a time. They are not multitasked people. Just, I'll do it, leave me alone, don't bother me, I'll get it done. They can block out distractions. Big noises and sounds and people can be talking all around them and they're not going to hear them. They just concentrate on what they want to do and what they're doing. I always say in teen, teen, teenagers that do this, or, or even younger students that do this, when you call them for dinner or call them to help you with something and they don't answer, they're not ignoring you. These people block out all kinds of peripheral noise so they don't hear. The other thing that I tell teachers when I talk to teachers is if you have a, a tiny writer in school and they're taking a test and the rule is when I say stop, you stop or you, I'm going to flunk you or take a grade off or some of that because you're cheating. You've got to stop. Realize that when you say stop, tiny writers often will not hear you say stop. What you need to do is call their name or tap them on the shoulder and tell them that, you know, you need to stop your writing. Large writing, they like people and enjoy uh, just being out around people. Well, we covered a lot today. We'll cover a lot more next time. We appreciate you. Until next time, this is Dave Grayson signing off.